the small business ends up being, you know, the daycare facility, it ends up <laughs> the classroom, it ends up being the dining room, it ends up being whatever needs to happen because I think small business is in a lot of ways like a full contact sport. Like it's a hundred percent effort to do everything you can and genuinely requires that sort of activation energy to make things happen. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. I'm your host, as always, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer, and you are tuned in to our nationwide search for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. And joining us virtually today is an entrepreneur that wants to jump into his origin story, tell us everything about him, where he came from, and his company. I've got Kevin with Withco. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. Great to be here. Yep, yep, man. We're excited to have you here. That's a pretty interesting topic, man. It's one we haven't really covered a whole lot on this show. So I'm excited to have kind of a new, fresh view of an entrepreneur and a business that we don't talk about every single day. But of course, like I told you before we started the show, we always start out with an icebreaker question. And today's question is pretty simple. Do you like to garden? Are you good or bad at keeping plants alive? Oh, man. Well, I live in New York, and so... Kind of tough to garden, I will say that. And I'm pretty sure I've killed every plant that I've owned. So don't have a green thumb. Got to be honest with it. And unfortunately, I'm not a plant person. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm down here in Texas and we have scorching heat. So I'll blame it on that. But, you know, obviously crops are a normal thing down here. I live in the suburban area, so I don't really have like a whole lot of property. Although in a neighborhood, having a half acre is pretty nice. I do want to garden. I love the idea of being able to just walk in my backyard and pick fresh jalapenos and fresh cucumbers and that kind of stuff. But yeah. same thing, man. I built in my old house probably two, two and a half years ago. I built this nice raised garden, you know, raised bed garden. It had solid wood, just solid built thing, put this nice, fresh, you know, dirt in there that was made for gardening and all that, and then put all these plants in there. I think the only thing I ever harvested out of it was a couple of jalapenos. And from what I hear, it's only because they can pretty much go through anything and still grow and still be okay. So it's the easiest one. Other than that, I kind of agree with my producer before the show. He was saying, I have a black thumb, so I kill everything that I try to grow. And yeah, that's not that I don't want to. I just struggle to. Yeah, yeah, I share I share the desire, but not the skill. I understand that. Well, before we hop into who you are, we always have to stop and talk about beefy marketing. Steve Forbes said, your brand is the single most important investment you can make in your business. And while a logo, brand colors, and brand collateral is only part of that overall branding strategy, beefy marketing knows that every company wants something that looks great. Their branding packages are built to create something that they know you'll love and will catch your client's eye and tell a story. If you're looking to build a brand that says professionalism while looking great, or simply need to redesign that old logo, get in touch with the pros at Beefy Marketing today. Visit www.beefymarketing.com for more information and a no-obligation quote. 
But Kevin, we're here to talk about you, where you came from, man. So just tell us all about you. Oh, man, where to begin? Also, not I don't think it's that complicated, but I grew up in New York and Brooklyn. Kind of get straight into even why I started the company. My kind of childhood growing up was in and around small businesses. My family had a grocery store and yeah, ran that thing. Blood, sweat, tears, Little League Baseball, food drives. They kind of understood that. Yeah, doing good for the community also meant doing well as a business owner. And yeah, long story short, you know, we got a phone call one day from a big developer who decided to purchase the building. And yeah, it was basically a death sentence. We lost the business in a matter of weeks. They decided to double our rent and we actually lost our home after a few months. And yeah, was trying to always sort of reconcile why this happened and how it could. Asked a lot of questions to my parents when it did. But one question really stuck, which was, you know, why was being really successful at being an entrepreneur and, you know, creating a great place and running a great business? Why in the most ironic way did that actually lead to our demise in the neighborhood? Why did it lead to our failure? And that really didn't sit right with me. It felt like one of the most, you know, un-American things potentially to say that working hard and you know, being successful could actually lead to the exact opposite outcome. And that really did serve as kind of the foundation to really explore thinking about with Co. Gotcha. So your parents had, you said it was just a grocery store in New York? Yep. Grocery store in Brooklyn for two decades. Wow. That seems like a, uh, I mean, I don't know much about New York. You know, I, I was born and raised here in Texas. I visited once. But it seems like it could be a pretty lucrative thing. But I would imagine real estate was kind of always high. Is that the case? Or, you know, in comparison to the rest of the country, I would just assume that real estate there is always sky high. I mean, I think the thing is that, you know, real estate changes. It changes based on, you know, who's in it and who's creating value in it. And, you know, neighborhoods change. And, you know, Brooklyn back then looked very different from Brooklyn today, as I'm sure every, you know, person's street or main street or, you know, neighborhood they grew up in looks completely different than what they're seeing today. And so, yeah, I don't think, you know, my parents had a great business and, um, you know, they did well at it. But, you know, I think their story and sort of as we've learned through kind of doing our work really happens coast to coast. It can be in a city as big as New York or, you know, it can be in a, you know, we spoke to a business owner the other day from Joshua, Texas, it can be in a, in a small town like Joshua. And it can happen really anywhere. And I think that's where, you know, we're really trying to understand, you know, why this happens the way that it does. Because at the end of the day, whether it happens in New York or in Texas, it just flat out seems unfair that you can create a great small business, you know, pour so much into it and end up sort of getting the boot. Yeah. Were your parents born and raised in Brooklyn as well? They were not. They came over from Korea, you know, a while back in the 70s. And yeah, really. Yeah, my mom came first and my dad came second to follow her. And <laughs> they came here with very little, but yeah, ended up you know doing some pretty amazing and I think heroic things to make their way and, you know, create a family and, you know, create, create sort of a place for us in New York. Yeah, it seems like going back to what you said about the American dream, you know, that's like the ultimate American dream is coming from another country, working hard, busting your ass and building something and then being successful in it and showing that, you know, you can come to a place and make something, you know, potentially out of nothing, depending on what you have when you come over here 
And I mean, I hear that story all the time of business owners who are like, yeah, no, we're first generation immigrants and came over with nothing except wanting to do something great and then wind up with awesome businesses that expand. And it does, it makes it seem even more wrong that they would all of a sudden after success, after all of the blood and sweat and tears going into it, have it ripped away so easily and then just, you know, ultimately kind of destroyed by something that seems so, I don't want to say meaningless because, you know, obviously someone has a purpose behind what they were doing. It just, it does. It seems wrong flat out. So kind of what years was that, that you started entering into the picture and helping them run things there? Yeah, I never, you know, I don't know if running would be the right word. I think I was more, <laughs> I was more of a nuisance than anything else. <laughs> and my parents after the grocery store had a dry cleaners, at which point I was also still a nuisance. But yeah, that was my childhood. You know, I remember the aisles. I remember the customers. I remember, you know, my dad supporting Little League Baseball. I remember sort of all of the work that went into to making that corner, their business, our family successful. And you're right, John, like, you know, when I compare my version of entrepreneurship to theirs, like theirs was crazy. Like they, you know, crossed, you know, multiple bodies of water and, you know, left everything behind and started with very little and ended up making something that, you know, I think still is just so admirable. And, you know, coming out of Thanksgiving and thinking about the holidays and kind of all the conversations that happen around the dinner table, you know, I really do wonder, like, you know, my parents effectively bought like America as a product and that advertising on that shelf was, you know, you can come here, work hard, it's the American dream, you'll be successful. You can translate that effort into something meaningful for yourself and your family and to be met with sort of the opposite of that in a lot of ways by being successful, which is the most ironic part. You know, that feels in a lot of ways like false advertising almost which is a place that we've spent a lot of time thinking about, like, you know, no one wants this to happen in a neighborhood. No one wants to lose that favorite local place. They don't want to lose a service. They don't want to lose a friend or a neighbor. But we live in a, a world, we live in a country where that happens literally every single day. Yeah. And, you know, that's the crazy part is I would say the American dream for so many years, especially when I was growing up. I mean, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, man, how old do I look? Well, I've only seen the photos because you're cheating on me here, not letting me see your video screen. But I mean, I would guess probably 30s, late 30s. Oh, man, that hurts. Now I'm 32. 32. Okay. Well, see, so we're similar in age, man. I'm 34 and I probably look like I'm 42. So you know, it's all right. <laughs> but so when we were growing up then, I mean, the American dream was always sold as like that white picket fence, three bedroom, two bathroom house and you got a spouse and you've got kids and, you know, like that's the American dream. And it seemed achievable if you were here and you just got a job, you worked that job from, you know, 16, 17 years old until you're ready to retire, all that stuff. And it seems like that story is kind of shifting, you know, and it, it becomes kind of what your parents had to do of building their own business. It's almost like if you're not becoming an entrepreneur these days, then your income is really limited to what you're going to be able to achieve. And I think that the American dream style, you know, house and picket fence and kids in a car is just not something that's attainable by one job, single income household like it used to be. It's like you've got to be an entrepreneur where you make a bunch of money or you have to be a dual income household and you've got to have a couple of jobs 
and you've got to work your face into the ground in order to live a comfortable life. Not that you can't live on, you know, just a regular job at a regular place, but if you really want to truly be comfortable, and I mean, have enough money to go on a vacation once a year and raise your kids and have stuff to eat and nice clothes and not have to struggle, then to me, entrepreneurship is something you have to look into. And I know, you know, where we're going with this story because of the limited research I've done on Withco, you know, I know where we're going with that of real estate and having your business in a place is already expensive enough across the country because of the way that the real estate market has been. But then on top of that, you have these big developers that are coming in and building a bunch of stuff and taking up all the land and, you know, making sure that they're taken care of and then trying to lease back to you. And I don't know if our listeners have ever listened or looked at the pricing for rental properties on commercial property, but leasing is expensive. Renting is expensive. And of course, buying can be as well. But it seems like your product is kind of a a better answer to that. So, you know, I want to jump into that kind of stuff. But it's just it's so interesting to me. I love talking to people who have parents who immigrated or they themselves have immigrated and made something because I think that growing up, we kind of get spoiled, if you will. And we kind of take for granted what we have and what we don't have. And then I think that when we meet a little bit of hardship, all of a sudden for us, it may be the end of the world. But then when I'm talking to these people and you hear the stories that they go through and the things they had to deal with, it's like, well, what I'm going through is nothing. Like the hardships I had is actually a place of privilege that, you know, I'm sure your parents would have prayed for and loved to have. So when they came here, were they fluent in the language? You know, were they bilingual or were they just kind of thrust into a world that they had nothing to know about? They knew very little. I think they knew that it was a place of opportunity. And, you know, when I think about kind of that description of like the American dream as this final destination of a home and the white picket fence. You know, I really don't think that's like, that's the product of America. I think it's the possibility and the chance and the opportunity, the ability to like exchange hard work for the ability to, you know, create, you know, permanence and wealth and, you know, opportunity. It's that like freedom to kind of do it on your own terms and that agency And it's really that journey that I think is really the American dream and, you know, that sort of promise that, you know, if you do these things, you'll have a shot. And I think that's why, you know, we all root for these stories. It's like, you know, we want to see the people in our communities who are making that effort to go out on their own and start something or, you know, the immigrant who comes here and and takes the ultimate chance. You know, we want those stories to win because it feels very much like a part of our identity to want those things. And I think when kind of the exact opposite happens in our neighborhoods through, you know, displacement or gentrification, it's really easy to feel for all of us, whether you're the most affluent person in that neighborhood or the one with very little, that it's just not a part of who we are. And so, you know, I think in a lot of ways, we're dealing with this sort of mass identity crisis. And yeah, we want to see real change because, I think the promise and the belief of the American dream is something that, you know, we really do want to keep alive. And so, yeah, a lot of the work that we do at our company is really based on trying to understand, you know, why this happens and actually very powerfully, I think, flip the problem on its head to be an opportunity because the exact opposite of, you know, what happened to my family and happens to countless others 
is actually very, very bright. It's about, you know, through real estate ownership, it can be about control over your business. It could be the ability to create generational wealth. I think my family story would have been very different had we owned that corner in Brooklyn. And so, you know, building that sort of ability to kind of realign the promise with the reality is a big part of what we do every day. So did you ever go to work for your parents at all? Or what was your first job? My first job was, so of course, you know, working, I quote unquote working (laughs) for my parents when I was a kid. That's, I think, something that any children of small business owners will go through because the small business ends up being, you know, the daycare facility, it ends up being <laughs> the classroom, it ends up being the dining room, it ends up being whatever needs to happen because I think small business is in a lot of ways like a full contact sport. Like it's a 100% effort to do everything you can and genuinely requires that sort of activation energy to make things happen. And so, yeah, I did as much as I could under my parents' sort of guidance in terms of helping them with their small businesses. But the first actual job that I had was when I was in, I think it was middle school or high school, living in New York, you get all of these amazing people, obviously, and someone took a chance on me to let them work for them at Merrill Lynch in their wealth management team. And again, I wasn't doing very much. I think I was, you know, learning and figuring stuff out, but, you know, that learning through people who were, yeah, just very, very sophisticated at what they were doing. I've been lucky to have, you know, many people who've been gracious with their time and experiences like that. Yeah. So did you go to college before or after that? Oh yeah. That was a middle school, man. I didn't go to college when I was, you know, seven years old. It was when, uh, I meant with, uh, Merrill Lynch. Oh yeah. Merrill was actually like when I was in middle school. So I oh, was, okay. I thought you were being sarcastic. Yeah. Middle, wow. middle school. Okay. Yeah. It was, that's awesome. Yeah. Someone took a crazy chance and was probably a cute kid working at Merrill Lynch, but <laughs> Yeah, they didn't. it was a great sort of first job and learning experience. And then college, you know, years and years after that. Gotcha. Absolutely. I mean, I just, I figured, you know, you think about that and you think obviously college would be like a prerequisite, not to every single job, you know, somebody's got to do mailroom and somebody's got to do certain jobs, you know, janitorial stuff and everything else. But it just seems like, is that kind of what set you up and made you interested in what with code does as far as like financial world stuff? Yeah, I think it was a few different experiences for sure. You know, I studied economics in college and to me, economics is really the you know study of like incentives and how incentives and identity basically drive behaviors to happen. And that can form, you know, both kind of relationships, you know, personally, professionally, but Kind of in the aggregate, it ends up being an economy which really drives, you know, progress and it ends up being a society which is about how do we treat each other. And yeah, I've spent a lot of time kind of thinking about those concepts and ideas and, you know, putting different framings on top of that sort of system. And yeah, a lot of the jobs that I had were really about sort of thinking of critically through how, you know, all these incentives and identities lead to these behaviors. And with that, kind of came to this conclusion on Withco that, yeah, the sort of incentives and identities that we've had in terms of small business and real estate are actually really, really misaligned. And that actually creates very different behaviors. You know, I don't know many tenants who love their landlords, residential or commercial. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, Yeah. And I think a lot of that just stems from, you know, what are the ways that people are working together? How does that manifest in terms of how people treat each other? Do people think it's fair? And, you know, I think once you start rethinking some of those incentives, 
you can lead to, you know, just the best behavior, the best sort of relationships possible. Yeah. I mean, I've always been someone being entrepreneurial myself. I've always been someone that's into like the freedom of capitalism and being able to buy what you want, sell what you want, kind of within, you know, reason, do what you want as far as like your money making ventures. But in college, that's kind of something that we studied as well. And and I'm wondering if you have any insight into, you know, there are certain things that happen within the real estate market that can have a, a really big effect as far as like what types of stores are going in, you know, going back to kind of what you talked about at the beginning of seeing these people have to leave or these businesses have to leave certain areas and stuff. And it's like, I can understand why cities zone and have certain requirements as far as what types of businesses can go where. Because what we had studied in college was all about kind of like the food desert situation where you can be in the middle of New York and still for certain people, depending on their income, the drive time, because, you know, obviously a mile out here in Texas is a little bit different when you're out in the country than it is when you're in downtown, you know, and that's whether you're in Houston, Texas, or you're in New York, you know, but I guess kind of the question would be here, like, do you think that some of the stuff that was going on back then with your parents, that that kind of could contribute to some of those food deserts where the prices are just so high because they know that some high-end company is going to come in and rent that building that it may have even had an implication to cause you know major problems like food deserts or resources that need to go to people not being able to get there because of shops like your parents' grocery stores being shut down. Yeah, yeah. And the funny, the mile thing, I remember someone actually I grew up with in New York was from Texas and we were talking about, I don't remember the line exactly, but he was like, yeah, it takes like an hour to get there or something. (laughs) And I was like, man, that's like, that's fine. And he was like, yeah, but like the difference in Texas is that you're like going a hundred miles versus, you know, like 50 feet. Right. But yeah, you know, I think the food desert thing is interesting and it can even expand to you know, why certain services and businesses and, you know, opportunities aren't in, you know, certain neighborhoods. But yeah, all of those sort of incentives are really aligned building by building, right? So there is someone who owns that building, who has made a relationship with an entrepreneur or an operator or a company, and they are operating that as kind of its own independent thing. And The market definitely matters, you know, other businesses around matter, competition matters, you know, substitution matters, but ultimately, you know, they are the king of their own kingdom. Like they can determine who gets that space, what those terms are, et cetera. And so, yeah, systematically, I think it's very easy to end up with a situation where, you know, for some period of time, there is this sort of lack of, you know, maybe it's a grocery store or it's, you know, access to certain types of food. Because ultimately, you know, I think landlords, you know, sometimes are also people that need to take that bet, right? They need to be the ones that sort of identify it and say, yeah, well, look, like there is no grocery store here. I think that's a good opportunity for me as the owner of the building. I think it's a good opportunity for an entrepreneur. And so I'm going to create that here and fill the need. But all of those decisions happen not only independently, most often they also happen kind of within the confines of timing and, you know, who's in spaces and stuff like that. So it's a very complex web of sort of independent and also dependent decisions of how neighborhoods change and evolve. But I think the biggest thing that we've sort of realized is that, you know, from a like wholesale perspective, 
there's a lot of stuff that's changed over the past like hundred or so years. And one of the biggest is that like big businesses have actually become very, very large. And as that's happened, you know, vendors of all kind, whether you sell software or you sell, you know, space, have really changed who they want to work with and why. And so in that, you know, there's fewer and fewer opportunities for small businesses to be successful in the long run, because if, you know, a landlord has to choose between, you know, John's Coffee Shop or Starbucks, it's actually a pretty hard choice, especially because most landlords are actually very small landlords themselves. They own less than two properties on average. And so that financial security for themselves is actually really important. And so on our side, you know, we don't really blame landlords. We don't, you know, blame even big businesses. We blame this sort of system that we've created, which again, sort of rubs against the identity of what we've built here as a country, which is around, you know, small business entrepreneurship and ensuring sort of its success. A lot of the decisions are sort of predestined to be big business wins or landlord with a lot of money wins versus small business, you know, being, you know, something that's competitive as a type of business for, you know, vendors of all kinds. Yeah. And that's what's so crazy about it too, is that small business makes up so much in this country. And it really is, you know, back when it was called the beef podcast instead of small business origins, that's what our intro said every time was small businesses are the backbone of the nation and they really are. So it is sad when, you know, those kind of battles come up, but I guess I want to ask then, what would you consider with Coda be? Are you a landlord, a banker, a developer, all of them? You know, kind of what is it exactly? Yeah, I think the word that we want to use the most is partner to small business owners. You know, I think to use an example that you gave earlier where it's very expensive to rent and it's very expensive to buy. And, you know, I think the product that you're really buying when you're renting is to you know, have a business, right? And the product that you're really buying with like something like a mortgage is really ownership. And that chasm is extremely, extremely wide. You know, on, again, on the renting side, it's like a bit counterproductive. You end up doing well and you can raise your own rents or you can do so well that someone else wants your space. And it's also one that is actually very expensive to rent. You're paying a lot of money to borrow someone's space and Oftentimes, you're actually also paying to make that space useful. You're going to spend money to build out that space and make it into a coffee shop or make it into a doctor's office or make it into a daycare facility. And so it's not a great sort of option for most business owners. And on the other side of that chasm, you have ownership, which is through a mortgage. But that's sort of an exorbitant amount of money to save as a down payment to actually cross the chasm. And even you know more than that, like real estate and investing into commercial real estate is not this well-known, well-understood, you know, easily Googleable thing that most people can do. It's an order of magnitude harder than even buying a home, which is challenging. And so someone who's making the best, who's obsessed with making the best, you know, baked goods, like why would they know how to buy commercial real estate? And also small business owners just don't have time. And so this like chasm between leases and mortgages or renting and owning is just super wide. And so what Withco does is we want to partner with people to basically cross that chasm. And we serve the small business owner, meaning kind of regardless of your situation, whether you want to stay in your existing location or you want to relocate an existing location or you want to expand 
Maybe you want to open multiple locations. We want to serve you to cross that chasm from just renting and going into ownership. And so we offer our own version of a financial product, which is help us buy, lease to own, and sell that building back to you in a way that actually makes sense for your business. And so through that, you know, the business owner is able to lease and borrow the space, but also save the down payment they need to actually be the full owner and buy the property back from us. And, you know, another part of that partnership not only comes from setting those incentives in place and making sure that, you know, people know how it works. It's actually also around educating the business owner to sort of transform them from being, you know, just someone who's obsessed with, you know, making the best baked goods and, you know, serving their little corner of their community to actually crossing that chasm and becoming a commercial real estate investor where they actually sort of understand, you know, why we're making the decisions that we're making and, you know, how they can sort of use this real estate to build, you know, generational wealth through their business. So how do I know if I can qualify for this? Is this generally something that takes a lot of money up front, good credit score, that kind of thing? Or, you know, how do I know that I'm a qualified candidate to come talk to you? Yeah, I mean, you can, sometimes we'll find you. Sometimes we welcome anyone to come to us too. You can go to with.co and do our onboarding and, you know, we'll ask you a few questions about exactly things like credit score and your business performance and your operating history. I really just try to get to know you and in that be able to pretty quickly determine, you know, is ownership or the pathway to ownership the right solution for you. And yeah, we've had, you know, more instances than not where we actually tell people you're actually not ready yet. There needs to be more growth in the business or more profitability or more tenure or this location specifically is not right for you. And so I think starting the conversation with us and, you know, making sure that we can both understand each other's situations, that's the best way to start. And, you know, we definitely prioritize right now you know, working with the best entrepreneurs across the country. And so, you know, people who are, you know, highly qualified from a credit perspective and people who have great, healthy running businesses, you know, those are the folks that we want to speak to. And, you know, until we can be at a place where we can actually serve, you know, all small business owners in the country. Yeah, I got you. That makes sense. But, you know, no startups. We're looking for someone who is somewhere that they want to keep or is somewhere wants to get out of that and wants to find somewhere that they'd be a good fit. So as far as being a partner, then it sounds like there's some work kind of up front that y'all do as far as, you know, determining if my business is a good fit, if we're making enough money, that kind of thing. Are y'all educating your client as well then? Yeah, absolutely. And some of it, it's always about like, you know, we want to help you make the right decision for yourself. And it, it can be, you know, as acute as, hey, my building is already for sale. I want to try to make a run at owning it. Do you think, you know, is it a good idea for me? Can my business actually afford to be on this pathway to ownership? Because eventually, you know, you will have to take out your own mortgage and, you know, be the full owner of the building. And so it could be as acute and as sort of isolated as that situation, or it could be, you know, hey, I want to expand into 50 locations in Texas. You know, I need help on figuring out what those locations are, how much I should pay for them, you know, what my opportunity is there. I need to understand, you know, how my business grows as my sort of portfolio of properties grows. And so it could be as comprehensive and as broad and as sort of, I guess, you know, across lots of different types of services for the business owner. 
But ultimately, it comes down to, you know, is the property or these properties or properties we're considering a good idea for your business to ultimately be the owner of? And yet we're educating the business owner on sort of every step of that journey, because in a lot of ways, those decisions are exactly the same decisions that we have to make as the sort of first owners of the building to say, this is a great sort of deal for you and a great deal for us. So with so many business coaches and banks and financial, you know, like finance companies out there that are willing to make loans and make money off of those loans, why come to you? What is it that y'all are doing that is special? Yeah, it could be a few different things. So it depends on sort of your situation. But, you know, I think the first is definitely on the capital side, right? Saving that amount of money for a down payment is very, very challenging, especially in a world where, you know, these businesses are leasing and those lease terms change very quickly as they're doing well. And so I think that's, you know, big primary reason to work with us is, you know, even if you are highly successful and you're able to qualify for a mortgage, you might not have that down payment because it's, you know, a price of a commercial property could be 10 times the price of your home. So that's kind of one. It could also be that you might have a better use for that money. Maybe you want to use it to grow your business. Maybe you want to use it to expand into new locations and putting all of your eggs in one basket for one property through that down payment may not be congruent with how you actually want to run your business or grow your business. I think the secondary reason is you don't know how to buy commercial real estate. And so, you know, we can help you sort of that education question you asked, John, we can help you actually understand how to do it well, because we're going to partner with you to do that and share very transparently all of the decisions that we're making to say yes to a property or no to a property or how much we pay. You know, we can help you actually do that. And then the last is honestly time, you know, it takes some time and dedication to get this right. And, you know, small business owners, if nothing else, you know, they have very, very little time, you know, for themselves. You know, one thing we like to say here is that small business owners are, you know, the best people at taking care of other people. They're not so great at taking care of themselves. We want to be in the business of, of actually serving them and, and, and taking care of them. Yeah. I mean, uh, all great reasons. I'm definitely not asking to, you know, try and say I got you or something, man. There's just so many options out there. It is hard to kind of understand sometimes. I think that that's part of the struggle for business owners is that it's like, hey, there's so many ways that you can go about this. So which one is going to work best for you? And I like the fact that you're able to tell people sometimes like, hey, you know what? We're not a good fit for you right now, or you're not a good fit for us right now. I think that's important because so many people out there are willing to just capitalize on the moment. And it's like, well, they want to spend this money and they may have the money. So let me just take it, even though it may not be a smart investment for them at this point. Yeah. Yeah. We don't see that as partnership. We sometimes, you know, saying no, if it's not something that's a good option for you is, is the right decision. It's, that's the right decision every time, if that's the truth. And we know that, you know, that's the way for us to build trust and, you know, authenticity and repeat business in the future. You know, when your lease does come up and you are ready or when your business does hit some sort of, you know, place where it's it's ready for ownership from a profitability threshold or when you, you know, enhance your credit score and, you know, you're kind of in that sweet spot, you know, coming to us today, we can actually, you know, help understand when that could be and when you are ready and when there is an opportunity, you know, we're ready to go basically when they are. So how big is your team? We're a team of 25 based in New York. And yeah, best people I've ever worked with. (laughs) So 
it sounded like earlier y'all can kind of reach anywhere across the country. You may be headquartered in New York, or are you localized to just that area? No, we do it coast to coast. Yeah, we just yeah we just bought something in the Midwest. Just bought something in Oregon. You know, I think we're actually doing one of our first ones in New York, and so we actually do very little in, in New York. But no, we're happy to get on planes and hop on Zooms and meet people where they are. And I think that's also the beauty of this is that you know you, you kind of get to see the entire country through the lens of small business owners and all the amazing things that they're creating coast to coast. You know, we have, you know, kind of the most business owners we work with in Texas, in the Southeast and in the Midwest. Yeah, I would say Texas has a really nice real estate market right now. You know, cost of living wise, cost of properties, what you get for what you're paying for, that kind of stuff. It's got to be a nice kind of area to spend some money in real estate right now. I'm sure it's booming everywhere, but Texas seems to be definitely booming right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, Texas is a great, great market for us. And it's in no small part because of, you know, I think the business owners who are already there and creating a great place and making it exciting for people to live there. Lots of people from New York and, you know, other cities move into Texas, setting up lives there. And, you know, there's a tidal wave that's been created by, you know, the culture and by the business owners. And, you know, for us, we just want to make sure that the people who created that wave actually get to ride it. Yeah. I mean, I think Withco is going to need a headquarters down here. You know, you got to come enjoy this Southern heat we have. Oh, yeah. No, we had one person who is our interim CFO. She's based in Dallas. And yeah, she has sung Texas's praises. And so we visit every time we can. Heck yeah. Well, do y'all have any business resources available online for these small businesses? Yeah, definitely. With.co is definitely the best place to go. A one-stop shop for us. Everything from resources and how things work to starting the journey and getting a conversation going. Heck yeah. Y'all on social media? We are. We are. Yeah. I think the handle for all of our accounts are Rise with Cup. So at R-I-S-C with Cup. Perfect, man. Well, I mean, you know, I like to kind of end it with, is there anything you would like to get out to that potential client that you maybe spend some extra time educating clients on quite a bit? You know, just like that one message, if you could scream it to the top of the world. Uh, and get every single person who's even thinking about coming to hear from you, if you could get that message to them, you have something special? Great question. I would say, yeah, mostly that, you know, I think we see you and we hear you. And yeah, it's been really hard, I think, for small business owners for a long time. And, you know, I think COVID and, you know, where the market is and all that stuff isn't making things easier. And so, you know, I think from all of us, like we see the work that you're putting in and, you know, we appreciate it so much. It, it means more than I think, you know, small business owners know. And yeah, kind of that line before of we see you taking care of everyone else and we see you, you know, doing your best for your communities. You know, we want to be the party that really helps you. We want to be that partner that really takes care of you so that you can have, you know, the control over your business and, you know, the generational wealth from your business and from real estate. And this is just where it's getting started. We can't wait to meet you. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, I think it was a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me and coming on and telling us all about you and your parents and how you grew up and about Withco. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks so much, John. Love your work and huge fan. So really, really an honor to do this. 
That's awesome. Well, listeners, as always, thank you as well for tuning in to another episode of Small Business Origins. Just another entrepreneur that we want to support because he's doing the same thing. He's out here supporting other entrepreneurs and business owners and helping them to achieve that financial freedom of owning their business truly, including the real estate that they're in. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And thank you for joining us every single week. As always, every week we're dropping a new episode of Small Business Origins on our nationwide search. And we can't thank you enough for tagging along for the ride. So make sure that you are following us on all of the social channels at Beefy Marketing, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, everything, everywhere, man. We've got funny content coming to you every single week on that stuff as well. So make sure you're keeping up with it. Make sure you're liking and sharing and reviewing our podcast as well. And we'll see you on the next episode. And as always, stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it.